Well, good morning, everyone. I am excited to be here and uh, bringing the word this morning. Uh, several months ago, my daughter and I had the opportunity. We had a, uh, a year pass to the Santa Barbara Zoo, which is much better than the L.A. Zoo, which is hot and just hills, and you're pushing stroller and trying to bring toddlers along with you, and Santa Barbara's flat, and there's a breeze. It's gorgeous, and there's, it's a lot smaller, so you can get through it a lot quicker. So my daughter and I, we, we go to the Santa Barbara Zoo, and uh, we had just an awesome time seeing all the different animals that they have. And uh, we had an opportunity. At the Santa Barbara Zoo, they have this exhibit. It's the gorilla exhibit. And uh, you kind of go down into, into uh, this kind of grotto area. And uh, in there, there's just a little room. And there's plexiglass windows all around. We've gone there multiple times. And you can also go up higher and look down upon them, but you're further away. And this one, you're level with the gorillas. And, uh, and so we're, we're, we're hanging out in this little area and looking at the gorilla, and there's a gorilla that's na- laying next to the window, this plexiglass window that's keeping this enclosure, you know, keeping me safe and, you know, keeping her safe and keeping the gorillas on the other side. And, uh, and so I saw this gorilla, and I'm going, that's really funny. I said, Katie, here, take my phone. I want you to take a picture of me. And, you know, she's four years old, so, uh, so I, I had her do it. And, and so I want to show you the picture that I took. Right here. It, well, my daughter took it of me. It's going on Twitter. What well, lovely. But there's this gorilla. I mean, this massive, you can't really tell the size, but this, this gorilla is, you know, five, six hundred pounds sitting on the other side of this window. And, and I, I've looked at this picture since. And I've thought about that idea of the plexiglass. You see, this gorilla has been captured from the wild, taken to the Santa Barbara Zoo, and put into this this cage that keeps this gorilla pent up. At the same time, he gets three meals a day. He gets all the vaccines he needs. He gets all the other accoutrements to living in the zoo. He has his own enclosure, his own space. People get to come up and lay down next to him and take photos of him while he sleeps. But I thought about this gorilla. This gorilla is not meant to be in this cage. This gorilla, if that plexiglass was not there, could tear me limb from limb. You see, with a cage comes all of the luxuries of security, of being fed. But at the same time, this gorilla loses his freedom. He loses that instinctive nature that's inside of him. All of his food is brought to him. He no longer has to go and look for it. He no longer has to achieve anything because everything's brought to him. And I think in some ways, we as a church have become like this caged gorilla. We we come to a church and we, we get to hang out with our friends. We get fed from God's word. And it ends there. And we 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 stay focused on on inward like Pastor Roland's been talking about. And this morning, my desire. Twitter feed's done. Good. (laughs) This morning, my desire is to open up the cage for us. Open up the cage for me and open up the cage for you. And give you a little perspective on living outside in the wild. And one of the the greatest passages that that I I find in Scripture that, that really draws this to a fine point comes from the story of my namesake, Jonathan. It's a good guy. And the story of him and his father and the differences that you see in their lives. And so this morning, I want us to open up to a chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 14, as I, I try to give you a, 
a shot in the arm, as I try to give myself some, a, a steroid shot, if you will, to boost us up as we head out into the wild this afternoon. 1 Samuel chapter 14, it's after the first five books of the Bible. You then go through Joshua, Judges, and then you come to a chick flick named Ruth. And it's just after that, First and Second Samuel right there. 1 Samuel chapter 14. The awesome thing about chapter 14 is it doesn't start in 14 because that was man-made and God's word was divided up. But it actually starts in chapter 13, verse 23, and I want to read that to you now. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. Let me give you a little, little background. Samuel is the last judge of Israel. During his lifetime, you've seen the Israelites turn away from God. They've gone to their idols. They've chosen to do things their own way. And nations come in, mainly the Philistines, come in and start taking over Israel and attacking them. They become so entrenched, they, they, they become so defeated that they end up losing the Ark of the Covenant, this sacred box where God dwelt, gets captured by the Philistines. Cool thing is that God, God acts and does some amazing stuff. Ah, first Samuel was so awesome. And he, they come to a place where they're going, you know what, we give up. We don't want this box anymore. It's caused too much trouble. Let's just send it back. And so they send it back. And it goes back to the Israelites, and they have it. Then the Israelites come before the Lord but they desire a king, an earthly king, just like everyone else has. And the amazing part is in chapter 11, King Saul comes on the scene. And King Saul in chapter 11 is an absolute warrior. He finds out that the Philistines have attacked and, and, and taken over this town. And he goes out and he takes some oxen and he rips them into pieces, cuts them up, and sends them out to all the other tribes and says, if anyone doesn't come and help me, this is what's going to happen to them. And so they all join forces and they follow Saul and they go into battle and they, they wipe them out. And he gets this national recognition for doing this. And Saul's known as being a head and head taller than everyone else. He's very tall and he's rugged and he's strong. And they all want Saul to be king. And Samuel comes and he points Saul as king. And right after that, we see Saul just turn and slide away. And the Philistines have come back and attacked, and they're continuing to oppress the Israelites. And now, in chapter 13, verse 23, as we begin, they've sent out a detachment at the pass at Michmash. This is a very important pass in Israel, heading north and south, and it, it, it's, it's a place where they need to get through, and they've taken up residence in the high hill country. Verse 2 says this, Excuse me, verse 1. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. I like to call this, these two verses, I like, I like to call it the, or this, this opening verse, excuse me, the secret plot. You see, Jonathan, unlike his father, sees an opportunity. And he wants to take it. He sees that they are being oppressed. And he remembers the scripture that likely as a king's son he has learned. That the God of Israel has taken, been, God of Israel has, has taken them out of Egypt, has defended them, has protected them, has gone before them. He's seen the stories of Joshua. He's heard all about them. And Joshua's gone ahead of him. I mean, God's gone ahead of Joshua and wiped out the people of Israel. And he sees that these Philistines are in this pass. And he says to his armor bearer, hey, let's go. Time to, time to pick a fight, as William Wallace would say. And he heads out, but he does not tell his father. And now we come to a verse that I like to call the great contrast. Verse 2 says this, Saul was staying... <clears throat> on the outskirts of Gibeah, under a pomegranate tree 
in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. One thing to know, Ahijah is wearing an ephod, which means he's a priest, which means he's a representative of God. Saul and Jonathan are the only two in all of Israel at this point that have swords of any kind. The Philistines have been so oppressive that they had forced the Israelites to come to them, to their blacksmiths, because they had wiped out and captured all the blacksmiths of Israel. They said, hey, if you want your plow sharpened, if you want any of those forks pointed, you have to come to us. And Saul and Jonathan are the only two with swords at this time. And Saul, with his sword, is sitting under a pomegranate tree. And I can just imagine him. I love scripture. It just opens up my imagination. And I can imagine him sitting underneath this pomegranate tree with his 600 guys around him. He's safe. He's secure. He's got the priest with him. He's got the leader at that time. That, that, that passageway to God is standing, sitting with him. And he's popping pomegranate seeds. He's sitting in the high country, which gives him an advantage, and he's safe, and he's surrounded himself with this cage of 600 men that are guarding and protecting him. He does not know that Jonathan and his armor bearer have left and taken off. I like to call Saul here the spiritual spectator. Instead of playing to win, Saul was playing not to lose. Oftentimes, I think that we get into a place spiritually that we live life not to win, but we play it safe and not to lose. Verses 4 and 5 continue the scene setting, and I want you just to imagine this scene in your eyes because on each side, verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Seneh. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash and the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan and his armor bearer are taken off through this valley and if you've ever been to Israel, you know that there's these things called wadis and basically it's rushes of water have created these, these formations in the soil that you can climb up. If you ever have the opportunity to go from the town of Jericho up to Jerusalem, the place where the Good Samaritan was going to and from, and that story takes place. The road, that the bus that I had an opportunity to go on is a road that's narrow, and it's a one-lane road. Not one lane both ways, it's one lane total. And we are on a bus, a giant bus. And there are cars that are coming the other direction. And there is a cliff to the right that drops probably 50, 60 feet, And you can see the other side come up about 30, 40 yards away. And there's a hillside to the left. They had taken basically a shepherd's trail and created this one-lane road. And so as the bus approaches going up, cars are coming down and going along the side, up on the hill sideways kind of, as we're trying to make our way, because we're bigger than they are, so they have to back down to us. So... We are literally, I'm sitting on the right side, looking out the window, looking down at the drop. I cannot see the road underneath me. This is, this is the, the scenario that he's walking into. It, there are cliffs, okay? There are these wadis, these, these amazing cliffs. And this is what Jonathan and his armor bearer are walking and going towards. Verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love this quote, this verse in Scripture. It fires me up when I think about 
Saul kicking back in his spiritual, you know, spectatoring, popping pomegranate seeds, hanging out with the priest, hanging out with his, his men around him, living in security. And Jonathan says to just one other guy, his armor bearer, who's younger than him, who's carrying, I guess, the one sword that he had, maybe a shield, it doesn't say much. But he's carrying one of two swords in all of Israel. And he's going, hey, let's go. We're going to go over to those uncircumcised fellows. We're going to do it. And then he says these two sentences. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Isn't that an amazing modus operandi? Mode of operating. Of living life in the sense that perhaps God will act in our behalf. Perhaps when I go next door and talk to my neighbor about Christ, perhaps God's going to act in my behalf. Perhaps when I leave my cubicle and I go out and I talk to my boss, perhaps God will act in my behalf. Maybe in that business dealing, maybe in that, that work that you're doing, perhaps God will act in my behalf. But I think many of us live with the opposite mode. And we live in fear. And we say, perhaps God won't act on my behalf. There have been many times where I've been praying and, and I've confessed to this and, and I confess to all of you now where I'm praying for people. Praying for people that are sick, that are ill, that I want to see come to know the Lord. And I pray for them and at the same time I go, but God, I don't know. They are so far away from you. I don't think it's possible, God. But if it's your will. We, we, we sit back and we go, I, I don't really want to share with them. Because I don't know if God, can you hear me? Are you going to show up? Are you going to do this? God, are you going to heal this person that's sick? Are you going to bring them back? Am I praying in a mode of perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf? I don't. I pray going, God, I really don't know if you're going to act on my behalf. And I sit in this cage of fear. I go, ah, I really don't know. But Jonathan is heading over to a detachment of Philistines with one of two swords in all of Israel, and he says to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. He has that confidence, and he doesn't just leave it there. He did not wait for something to happen like his dad was doing. He went out and did it. And then he says this, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. How often do we, and I, I once again, confession time, how often do I put God into a box? I know I've said it to him here. God, I want to reach every student at Agora High School with your truth. I want to see young adults. I want to see college-age students. I want to see middle school students in all of the Caneo Valley hear your truth. But we go, God, all right, God, just this week, maybe I can talk to one. Maybe you'll allow me to have an opportunity with just... One. I'm not going to ask for all of them yet. I just want one, maybe. And we live not out of faith, but we live out of fear. And we put God in a box like, God, I don't know if you're big enough to understand the issues that I'm going to face. I don't know if you understand the problems that I'm facing right now. 
But Jonathan said something that I want to say to you this morning. And I say it to myself as well. But folks, nothing can hinder the Lord Almighty. Do you believe that? Nothing can hinder God from anything that's going on in your life right now. Nothing. Nothing can hinder him from saving Jonathan and his armor bearer here. He's basically going on a suicide mission. I don't know about you, but I don't know when the last time was, but maybe you've read through Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of fame of Christian heroes, of spiritual heroes. And, and we see these lists of people. And as you read, you're going, wait a second, I thought this was a list of heroes. Doesn't it always end well for the heroes? Hebrews chapter 11, a lot of these men, their lives end in torture. They're beaten. They're killed for what they believe. They're stoned to death. They're put in chains. They're exiled from their family, from their friends. But you see, they lived not with the end of life here on earth in mind. Because the end of life here on earth is just the beginning, amen? That's an eternal perspective. That's an eternal perspective. For me, I've had the opportunity this last year, since last September, to go and help out on the JV baseball team over at Agora High. I go over and help two days a week. I go throw batting practice and hit ground balls to them. But I can tell you, my first couple weeks there were the most intimidating weeks of my life. You see, I didn't like high school too much, and, and it, was, it was a really tough time. And all of those emotions of inferiority complex and conforming to the world around you started coming back. What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't throw batting practice? What if I don't? I'm going, I'm 30 years old. I'm letting 15 and 16-year-olds intimidate me. What in the world? They need to know Jesus. They need to know his truth. And if they can see that and experience it through me throwing batting practice, maybe not as well as they want, maybe not hitting the ground balls exactly the way they want, but seeing me every week, coaching first base during the games and sending them to second, I never told a single kid that I was a pastor. But I can tell you this, each one of them found it out. And that started some amazing questions. Are you married? Are you allowed to have sex? Those were the two things that they wanted to know the most. Okay? Those were the two things that they wanted to know. Okay? Yes. They're like, you can? What? I didn't know that. And then some students, some, some baseball players said, hey, I used to go to that church. I used to do the Awana, the Awana program over there. Isn't there something called Awana? My parents used to make me to go. Hey, you should come back. Hey, let's hang out. Let's go grab coffee. You see, Nothing can hinder God Almighty. When you give up your temporal perspective and you put it on an eternal one, that they need Jesus. Your neighbor needs Jesus. Your boss, even though you may not like him or her, needs Jesus. Those kids that you see hanging outside 7-Eleven with their pants hanging down low, guess what? They need a belt. No, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And what if you were the one to go and tell them? Because I can tell you this, nothing can hinder God. 
not your age, not your ethnicity, not your gender. Nothing can hinder God from working in those you come in contact with. Have that eternal perspective. Because this is key. God will always lead me and you into places that are unexpected and ask you to do things that can be risky. The question is, are you listening to him? The will of God and what God desires is not an insurance policy. The will of God is a daring plan. But many times this daring plan is hard to take on alone. I know that. It's a difficult one. When you're the only one. But I want to keep reading. Verse 7. Call this section, Teeming to Win. After Jonathan says this, he says in verse, verse 7, his armor bearer says, Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. You see, Batman found his Robin. He found that guy. It's like, I am with you, heart and soul. Do whatever you have in mind, I am with you, I am behind you 100%. You see, we need to find those people. For many of us in marriage, that's our spouse. Or it should be at least. That person that is with you heart and soul. And I know for many of you here, your spouse isn't that person. And it's a difficult one. And you're going, look at all that God is doing Join with me. Let's do it together. But I can tell you this, that God is not hindered by your spouse. He's not. He can't hold you back from what you want to accomplish. Or for what, excuse me, from what he wants to accomplish through you. But finding that person that will link arms with you and go to a Philistine encampment to certain death because you have an eternal perspective and not a short one is huge. The response from his armor bearer, I am with you, heart and soul. For many of you, you know that uh, I've, been, I've started up a couple years ago now a college-age ministry here. And it's been going great. God's been doing some very cool stuff. A few weeks back, Chad and I were out to lunch and we were chatting about it. And Chad basically said, I'm not going to quote him, but said, John, I'm with you. I'm with you. Heart and soul. And all of a sudden I go and I, I talk with a couple other couples in our church. And they said, John, we're with you. And it's been something where people have come in and they've helped out and they've done a great job connecting. But it hasn't been the right time. It hasn't been the right place. Now Chad is no Robin. I just want to make that very clear. Okay, Batman, I'll be Robin, fine, that's fine. <laughs> but I can tell you this, over the last four weeks, we've had attendance of 25, 21, 23, and this last week we had 33 people. God is doing something in this ministry. It's exciting. And it's not me, and it's not Chad, but when you have someone and people that link arms together going, this generation needs Christ. Some of them are here this morning, smiling at me right now. And I'm excited about that. 
I'm excited that they're here and coming in and being a part of this church. And my desire is not to form a Thursday night service. My desire is to form a Thursday night opportunity for them to connect here on Sunday morning. That is huge. Now let's get to the fun part, the action. Verses 11 through 14. This is definitely, if made into a movie, a rated R movie. It is intense. Most of scripture is, I will say that. Verse 11, so both of them showed up, excuse me, sorry, I skipped. He says, Jonathan said in verse 8, come then, we will cross over toward the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come up to you, we will say, we will, excuse me, stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. That is the most awful military strategy ever. Okay? Hey, we're going to go out in the middle of the day, pop out behind some rocks, show ourselves, hey guys, we're here. And if they say, hey, wait there, we're going to come down to you. Well, God, God will do his thing, hopefully. But if they say, hey, climb these cliffs up to us, That'll be, for me, the sign would be if they see us and fall off the cliff, that's a sign from God <laughs> that he wants us to, right? Right? Exactly. Exactly. The worst military strategy ever. I can't imagine what's going through his armor. I am no longer with you, heart and soul. What <laughs> in the world was that? But he says this. So both of them showed up in verse 11, showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. Basically that translation, hey, we got something to tell you. Come here, come get real close. Got a pointy end on it. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, love this, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Here, carry my stuff. I'm going to climb up ahead of you. Follow me behind. Give him the hard work. I don't know how many of you have ever been rock climbing before, but it is not fun. I don't enjoy it. There's a rock climbing gym in Westlake. And a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, is an actual member of this gym. And I don't understand it. Why? They make elevators. What in the world? They make stairs. I don't understand. Why do you want to climb this rock? It's just in the way. Just go around it. I don't know. But it is tiring. You're for you use muscles rock climbing that you have never used before. And he goes up and he climbs. I'm guessing by the time he was at the top, he was tired. I don't know how it worked out. But his armor bearer was with him. And then you have this incredible, I, I don't know how else this matrix ninja scene take place and unfold right before your very eyes. It says, Jonathan climbed up, verse 13, using his hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan. It just leaves it at that. I'm going, this is incredible. And it just, they fell before him. Uh, come on now. Come on, give me something like flips and kicks and you know, 300 battle and, you know, just, I just, I'm going, how in the world? But they fell before him. Sure, that's it. And his armor bearer followed <laughs> and killed behind him. So Jonathan's just going through, knocking him down, and his armor bearer's just coming and finishing him off and just, just to getting the reward, just going behind him. Verse 14, in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about half an acre. He got to the top and he was done. He got to the top, fought him off. The Lord delivered him. You see, many of us have this idea about our spiritual growth. We have this idea that the longer we're a Christian, the easier our lives should be. We get this idea that the longer 
And the more spiritual discipline we get, the harder it's going to be. I don't know if you've heard the commercials for P90X, but P90X is this huge, you know, phenomenon, 90 days to an amazing body like Thor or whatever. And if you've seen the movie Thor, you'll know what I'm talking about. And P90X is this idea, but it talks about this. It says that you never do the same exercise because you don't let your muscles get used to something. Because, you know, you can go jogging. I've done it. Chad's done it. You go out and you go jogging and you go jogging and you don't lose any more weight. You just plateau. But P90X, whoo, it changes it up and it gets you. That's what spiritual discipline is supposed to be like. We're not supposed to plateau and get to a place where it's nice and easy. We're supposed to be doing something different. You see, spiritual discipline prepares us for more difficult challenges. The baseball team prepared me for the school. I don't know what God has, but I know that God can't be hindered, that God's going to do something amazing. But God's preparing something in me and in you, disciplining us to go to the next challenge. So what's that for you? What's the next challenge that you need to be taken on for Christ? Is it a person that you need to not just be praying for, which is amazing, but you need to be developing a relationship with, that you need to be taking out to coffee, that you need to be actually sharing what you believe with them? What do you believe? Letting them know what you believe. What cliff do you need to climb today? Because I know that Jonathan was tired when he got to the top of that cliff. But then he had to go and fight with his armor bearer. What cliff do you need to climb today? Craig Greshel, pastor of LifeChurch.tv, says this, The difference between where you are now and where God wants you to be may be the painful decision you refuse to make. But I can tell you the outcome. Verse 23 says, the, So the Lord rescued Israel that day. Goes on and the Philistines fall before him. Because of this one act, Saul looks around and goes, Hey, who's missing? What's going on? I hear a lot going on and something crazy is going on over on the other pass over there. Oh, hey, Jonathan's gone and his armor bearer. Hey, let's attack. Let's go. And they go and they attack. And Saul begins to take all the glory for himself and take all the glory and eat it up. And he says, hey, no one else can eat until we've destroyed everyone. And Jonathan's tired after climbing a cliff and attacking these 20 guys and wiping them out over a half acre. He goes and he eats some honey. It's a cool story. And the guys are like, what are you doing? King Saul said no one's supposed to eat until the Philistines have been defeated. Going, my dad's a bonehead. <laughs> it's a Hebrew translation. Yeah, yeah, you'll get it later. But he goes, Did you see how my eyes lightened up? They brightened up. I was excited when I tasted that honey. My dad just wants all the glory for himself. He's not following God. He's doing what he wants to be doing. God started something amazing, and he's not listening. Can I suggest to you this morning a couple things? One, I believe that the church today needs people that are more afraid of missing opportunities each week than making mistakes. They're more afraid of missing opportunities than making mistakes. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses. I think in that day when he posted those and nailed them to the door of the church, he was doing one small courageous step that he knew God wanted him to do in obedience. He was what my mentor says, do the right thing, not what feels good. He was doing the right thing and posting those 95 theses. But it led to this thing that we call today the Protestant Reformation. 
I don't think Martin Luther had the Protestant Reformation in mind. What small courageous step do you need to take today that could drastically change the future? Drastically change all of history? Jim Lilgren, many of you know at this church, and I've asked him if I could talk about him a little bit. He was the worship pastor here for many years. He was an elder. He did a great, amazing job. But he felt like he had to do something different. So he left his paycheck, consistent paycheck here, and became a missionary to Russia. Raising, needing to raise support in order to feed he and his wife. Going to Russia. That's a long way away. It's a different culture. It's a different time. But he's been meeting with a pastor. And this pastor has a vision from God to plant 30 Russian-speaking churches in the next five years in all of Europe. But Jim has been mentoring not only this pastor, but he's been mentoring the youth pastor of that church. And this youth pastor is going, hey, if he's got an idea of planting 30 churches with senior pastors and meeting Russian people, Russian-speaking people all throughout Europe, I want a youth pastor at every one of those churches. So Jim calls me up and says, hey, Volva needs your help. Get on Skype. Talk to him. As Jim says, John, God loves you, but I have a plan for your life. And I'm going, all right, Jim. <laughs> all right, Jim. So Vova and I are talking, and Vova says, there are over 10,000 Russian-speaking 19 to 28-year-olds living in the city of Prague that need to hear about Jesus. Would you be interested in coming and speaking at a conference of college youth pastors teaching us from God's word on how to reach college-age students because I want to reach all 10,000 that live in my city. Going, wait, let's go back to those numbers. We had 25, 21, 23, 33. Wait, you want to reach how many? 10? No, 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 10,000. Why are you you talking to me? What's going on? As Roland... Pastor Roland says, we are most, the most overeducated yet undersent in the Western world today. I do know a lot of stuff. I've read a lot of books on ministry. I'm going, all right, let's talk about a conference, getting these youth pastors. He called me up. Hey, just ran into 15 youth pastors in Portugal. What if we do two conferences? One in Portugal and one in Czech Republic. Wait, wait, hold on. I only agreed to one. Well, John, 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 in all of Europe, there's something like three to five million Russian-speaking people, young people that need to hear the truth. We can't just do this in the Czech Republic. 10,000 is not big enough for me. Going, 10,000 is huge. What are you talking about? But God has something going. I'm going, Vova, I need to get there, but I'll be with you heart and soul. Let's do this. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's an amazing opportunity to reach people. Missionary by the name of C.T. Studd says this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. The church needs more studs. You can quote me on that. (laughs) Twitter that, okay? The amazing thing about leaving the cage, going out, knowing that God will not hinder or be hindered by anything. The Celtic Christians had a word for the Holy Spirit the Celtic is angid glas. You can practice that a couple times. But it actually translates 
to the wild goose. If we're to chase the Holy Spirit, we're going to go on a wild goose chase. We have no idea where he wants to lead us. But we need to be open and available to going wherever he calls. Because as Matthew 16, 18 says, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not stop you. Many of us have interpreted that as we need to build up gates around Hades and keep them away. But Jesus is going, no, 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 you're an offensive force, not a defensive force. And sometimes the best defense is a good offense. We need to be tearing down those gates, blowing away the darkness with light. I'm going to close with this passage. And I want to challenge you that maybe today you need to make a life goal list. And not just a life goal list, but a life goal list that God has been putting on your heart. Maybe there's some big things on there. Maybe for some of you, you need to leave your job and do something different for his kingdom. That's scary. Maybe for some of you, you need to reach out. Maybe for some of you, you need to have a goal of reaching your block for Christ. Maybe for some of you, you need to reach your workplace for Christ. Maybe for some of you, you need to go and you need to start an orphanage somewhere. I don't know what it is. But I know that God's been putting things on your heart. Write them down. Have a goal list. What does God want you to be doing that just seems absolutely crazy to you? Because I want to encourage you with this verse. I want to encourage you to write this list with this verse in mind. Romans 8.31 says this, If God is for us, then who can be against us? It's a big if. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the contrast of Saul and Jonathan. God, this morning my prayer is that we would open these doors of this church, that we would unleash a force, your force called the church, we would unleash it on the Caneo Valley. That you would move mightily through us. God, give us big dreams, big goals, huge goals that only you can accomplish. God, let us not live out of fear let us live out of faith knowing that perhaps perhaps you will fight for us Father God let your spirit move in this place open our minds God, you want to accomplish so much. There are so many people that are dying around us. Dying spiritually, dying emotionally. And they need you. Give us dreams. God, at the same time, give us armor bearers that will link arms with us. God, I pray for spouses that are not linking arms right now. I pray that you would move in those marriages right now. 
that you would move in those spouses' hearts, that they would desire to link arms and be with each other, heart and soul. Father God, unleash us now into the wild that we may chase the wild goose wherever it goes. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Go this week out of the cage doing something unexpected for Christ. It may be risky, but if God is for us, then who can be against us? Have a blessed week.